RMA would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded, the Dharawal people. We pay our respects to the elders past and present and extend that respect to other Aboriginal people listening today. I don't want to get to my deathbed and going, God, I wish I'd done this. God, I wish I'd done that. Oh, why was I too scared or too embarrassed or too whatever to do these things? Because you know what? You're not going to get that time back. So so my philosophy is I'm just going to give it a bloody crack. And if it doesn't work out, at least when I'm on my deathbed, I go, well, I gave it a crack, you know, um, because life is short and and you've got to do as much as you can in the short time we have here. Hello, welcome to Season 2 of the RMA Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Bunyan. We are excited to share inspiring stories of amazing everyday women who are using running as a vehicle to connection and change in their lives. We want to share the impact of these powerful stories with you, how running can free you, challenge you, help you believe in yourself and lead you to places you never thought possible. Thank you for listening to these powerful stories. We're excited to have you on the journey with us, one step at a time. Hi, welcome back to another episode of the RMA podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Today on the podcast, I have a really special episode planned for you. It is all about one amazing Australian woman and mum who participated in the Barclay Marathons. Not only has Isabel participated in the Barclay Marathons once, she has participated twice. So a lot of you might know a little bit about the Barclay Marathons, but for those of you that aren't aware, the Barclay Marathons is an ultramarathon trail race held in Frozen Head State Park in Tennessee in the USA. Runners complete 60 miles to be able to participate in the fun run, or the full course is about 100 miles. It was founded by Lazarus Lake, and the race is limited to a 60-hour period Uh, which takes place between March or May, and there's never really a known time of when it's going to occur other than the people that are lucky enough to get a place on the start line. If you get a place on the start line, you are sent a letter of condolence. (laughs) So that tells you just how tough this race might be. Participants have to, I guess, copy and sketch onto their own map um, the course, which is given to them just before the race. Um, And this course isn't something that you and I would like be used to. So this is terrain that some of us would just definitely not be well versed in. There isn't really any tracks in some of this course and you are running using a map and a compass that you have sketched your own trail on. You have to work your way around the course and you have to find pages that correspond to your race number in books along the way and make it back to the start area in a specific time so that you can go off on another loop. It's a really difficult race and not many people have finished, uh, but Beautiful Isabel has not only once but twice tried her hand at this really difficult, probably one of the most difficult races there is. So I wanted to get a little bit of insight into one, who Isabel is, what made her rise to ultra running from, you know, being a young mom and and trying her hand at running and then what made her decide that something like the Barkley Marathons was something that she wanted to attempt I also wanted to find out what it was like to 
get a place on the start line? How did she even do that? And also, how do you even train for an event like the Barkley Marathons? What was it like when she was out there um, and what difficulties arose for her and how did she overcome them and how did she feel at the end of it? I wanted to know what kind of characters she met along the way because the Barkley does draw some interesting characters to its start line and I guess what lessons it taught her in the end and how this will shape her running into the future. You will love this episode. Isabel is an amazing athlete. She is also a coach. She has her own coaching business and she is also a podcast host like myself and she interviews some really interesting people. Not only has she participated in the Barkley Marathon, she has been a three-time Australian distance mountain running representative at the World Championships where her best place was 10th female. She's won the six-foot track. She has won a 24-hour race overall with a distance close to 200 kilometers. She's done amazing, amazing things, yet she is a mum just like the rest of us, having a go, working full-time, and raising children. I hope you enjoy this insight from Isabel Ross. Before we begin, a message from this week's sponsor, Physiocram Massage Gel. Physiocram has been helping Running Mums Australia to achieve their running goals for years now and ease those post-training muscular aches and pains. Hurting sucks and Physiocram has our back. To get your own Physiocram, head to www.physiocram.com.au. Don't forget, if you're a member of the member program, you can get 20% off with your member code. You can also find Physiocram at your local pharmacy. Hi, Isabel. Welcome to the RMA podcast. Hi, and thanks for having me on. We're very excited to have you on, Isabel. Obviously, there is so much to who you are. Um, (laughs) You know, many, many facets to your life. You know, you're a mum. You come from Victoria. You're an ultra runner. You're a teacher. You're a coach. You're a a podcast host as well. You've run numerous, numerous races and adventures, including two attempts at the Barkley Marathon, which is why we really wanted to have you on today to talk about that specifically. But the RMA podcast is all about um, showcasing and celebrating women and particularly mums who run. And I thought you would be a really interesting guest because of the amazing things that you have accomplished throughout your running career. Um, So... Before we get into all of those things, do you want to just tell the listeners where you are from, where do you originate from and where you're living now and how you got into running? Well, um, I was born in Glasgow in Scotland um, and um, my family travelled around a lot and we came to Australia as part of, uh, you know, my dad liked to work in different places and my mum said that's enough, she's had enough of travelling so we stayed here and that was in Melbourne, Victoria. And so I've basically lived here all my life um, and um, became a citizen, you know, when I was in my 20s. Um, And, yeah, so in Victoria, obviously, and my parents brought me up and took me bushwalking and that sort of thing because that's what they did in Europe. Mm. Um, And I used to hate it with a passion and I always said that when I grew up, I was never going to go up into the mountains during summer. If I was going to go to the mountains, it would only be to ski. And, um, and I hated the thought of being in the bush and all those boring things, and I just wanted to go to Queensland theme parks. And now here I am as a grown-up. 
doing yeah. all the things I thought I'd hate. And and I think it's quite interesting that no matter how hard we try, we turn into our parents. <laughs> it's so true. And, you know, it's a bit of a theme on this podcast when I ask no, guests about their upbringing. Yeah. A lot of them say that it was their parents' influence on them as a young as a young person and I, I also have that influence growing up, you know, going bushwalking and hiking and yeah. never realised that trail running would become part of who I am. Um, yeah. And as a teenager or even as a young child, I hated it. I was like, oh, not another hike. Like, but it's... But think, think of the good base we got from that. It's <laughs> so good. And, like, I think it taught us, one, resilience. Yeah. To a sense of adventure, I guess. Yeah. Uh, even though we didn't really know it at the time, there was something I think that we really appreciated about being in nature and about yeah. our surroundings perhaps. And maybe our parents just knew there was something special about those experiences that they wanted to give to us. Um, is that I, I think I also learned how to suffer on my family. Yeah. It's like, you know, and my mum would give me mantras to say when I was really suffering and I still say them now, you know. So... <laughs> I think, I, and I think you're right. And when you're brought up spending a lot of time in the bush, I think you find you really need it. Mm, yeah, yeah. Do you, did you like teach your children, you know, about those things as well? Like, is that something? Oh, that well, no, because when my kids whinged, I listened to them. Whereas when <laughs> I whinged, my parents didn't listen to me. So, but I, my kids grew up where I lived. Um, we were on a couple of acres in the middle of the National Forest. So mm. they would just walk out and be in the bush. Um, my son has great affinity to the bush and he he really does not like being in built-up areas and that. So he certainly does. My daughter, not so much. So mm. she still loves the bush but not, not as much as, say, my son. My son, he needs to be in the bush too. So mm. it's interesting. It is interesting. I mean, none of my kids really like to be out. Oh, they like to be in nature, but I've got one that could take it or leave it. The other ones like to be there for a little bit of time. But I'm hoping one day they'll come round to how much. Well, well that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Just like we did, they probably will too. And, and that's it. It's just having the patience to wait. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So how did you go from like being someone who, I guess, got out into nature with your parents just doing hikes and things to somebody who got involved in running and particularly in ultra running? Well, um, I actually got into mountain biking first and I was doing a lot of that. And then I had a, um, a fall where I fractured a vertebrae and dislocated my hips. Okay. And kind of um, after that, I kind of lost the ability to ride through that fear, you know, because um, mountain biking can be quite scary. Yeah. Um, and I just kind of lost my mojo with with racing. And so I gave that up and and then I had kids and, but I still, I felt that need to be out in the bush and doing something and physically moving my body. But I didn't really want to get into, I mean, I liked mountain biking just casually, but not not so much. And I wanted something which I, at the time, thought would be cheap compared <laughs> to mountain biking um, and wouldn't take up much time, you know. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, when the kids were little, I took up running. And um, it was just one of those things that felt, I don't know how you felt when you took up running, but suddenly it was like my body went, oh, this is what suits me. And I really felt that that's what suited me. Mm. And I wasn't into ultras at first um, because my husband at the time was really, um, he didn't like me training or doing anything like that. So I had to keep the training to the minimum. Mm. But then as, um, you know, 
the marriage progressed and I just went stuff it and went into ultras anyway, you know. Um, and that's when I felt even more that that was really suited to me. Mm. So what was it about the ultras that you thought, I guess, was just who you were? Like what was it? Was it the challenge or was it the places you could go? What sort of things about ultras did you love? Well, well, to give me that feeling that um, it really suited me, I think it was more the... Um, the the ability to go such a long distance um just on your own two feet just completely self-reliant um the fact that it took me different places that that joy for that came later you know um but the long distances was like just being reliant on myself you know a pack on your back kind of thing yeah. but being able you know didn't have to rely on a bike or worry about punctures or worry about um, mechanicals or anything like that it was just me getting from A to B mm. and, you know, how far could I go? And and the challenge as well, but the main thing was that. Mm. And, I mean, it's so easy as a runner to be able to do that. You're right. Like all you need is a pack on your back and you choose yeah. on your feet and you can go. <laughs> like, exactly. How awesome is that? Yeah, that's right. And go anywhere. Like, you know, you just choose the route and off you go. And as you know, it could be any type of route, uh, even the Barkley Marathon, which I don't even know if that is a route, but anyway, I we'll talk about that. <laughs> But, I mean, it's interesting. I like to sort of see how people progress into ultra marathons because sometimes it happens by chance and sometimes it, it sort of just morphs into people wanting more and a different experience or pushing their boundaries and, and things I like always that. kind of knew I wanted to do it. It was just because of my situation in life that I didn't mm -hmm. get into it sort of straight away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, do you remember your first ultra marathon? Do you remember well, what to be fair, my first marathon was an ultra marathon because I did the Great Ocean Road, which was um, yeah. 45K. So, True. but no, um, in reality, then my first ultra was probably, um, I think it was six foot, mm, which yeah. I won. Yes, so, that's the one you yeah. won. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that was just meant to be a training run for... Um, for the Gold Coast, well, it was just a training run. I was training for Gold Coast Marathon. And and six foot, it's, it, yeah, it's an ultra marathon that's kind of not because it's only a few K over, so, you know. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, but, it's, still a, it's still a tough race. And Yes. I mean, I've done it twice myself. Never had a great experience at six foot. Oh, really? I mean, I love the terrain. It's beautiful. Yeah. But I seem to blow myself up every time. Um. Um, which is easy to do at six foot track, um, on the first 15 Ks, but yes. like it's, it's a good stepping stone to harder ultras. Yes, um, yeah, it definitely is. Yeah. yeah. In mountains. So what, could you remember what sort of came after six foot track? Well, um, well that led me to getting chosen to represent Australia in long distance mountain running, which I did a few of them. Um, and I just loved them. And then I think I went up to about the 50K distance. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, geez, God, I've got the worst memory. Um, it's all the race you've done. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. I think, so I entered UTA mm. and um, I think I did, and I hadn't, you know, obviously that was going to be my first 100. And um, I hadn't even done a 50K yet, I don't think. I'd only done 45, you know. Mm -hmm. And so then I did a 50K in Victoria about three or four weeks before UTA just to see how, whether I felt like I could keep going and, and that felt good. So mm -hmm. so then, yeah, then, then it was UTA, the 100. 
Yeah, wow. Yeah. And you obviously had some talent. Like, you know, you mean you came first at six foot track on your first ultra. You obviously had yeah. some built in talent and also you worked hard, you know, to get yeah. to get the results that you wanted. See, and, and that was it. It was always a complete surprise to me because when I started running, I I would just go out and I would just run and then I would win a race and it would be totally unexpected because I hadn't, you know. Yeah. Like I was just, you know, doing whatever. Um, and, and I remember, yeah, I, it was always a surprise to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it was just a, a good engine. And that's why I honestly believe all that bushwalking from when we were young did develop that ability that, you know, um, good engine and the, um, ability to just push through. Yeah. I, I really, I honestly believe yeah. that. Yeah. Because I didn't do anything particularly special and I didn't plan to win. I just ran. And that's another thing I think I also just ran by feel. And I think a lot of people get trapped in, I've got to hit this pace by this checkpoint, by this, by this, by this. And they get so trapped in that they actually end up running slower than if they just ran. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and I, I tend to have a natural inbuilt pacer I just can't seem to run fast at the start of a race, mm. um, and um, which is embarrassing for me because you know I'm, I'm often like plum last, <laughs> but um, but then I can sort of you know pick my way through the field. But but yeah, I think maybe worry less about what the watch is saying and worry more about what the body is saying. Mm. No, I agree with you. And being yeah. in tune with your body, yeah, I think too you have a better experience in a race if you're doing it like that as well. Yeah. Do you think like with your races, I mean, they were all probably very different, but has it developed for you over the years where um, it's about the experience over the performance sometimes, or is it more for you about the performance or does it depend, depend on the race itself? Well, I always go into a race. Um, the only time I've gone into a race saying I want to win was GSCR 2019. That is the only time. Mm. Other than that, I go in there to um, with the mindset that I'm going to enjoy it. How lucky am I to be out there? How amazing is it that that I can run, 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 hike? You know, mm. as we all know, um, run these distances and and you know. Um, I just try to feel gratitude and 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 be feel so fortunate and and that's the mindset I go into it. I'm the like I said, the only race I've gone into it saying I'm going to win is GSER. And other than that, if I ever even thought about you know, oh, how will I go? That kind of pressure just kills me, and I, I can't. Mm. I I, can, I don't race well with that kind of pressure. Mm, mm. No, I think it's a great way to go into any race yeah. with the experience first and foremost in the front of your yeah. mind. Um, well, let's talk about the Barclay now. Now we're talking about adventures because I'm so keen to, to learn so much more about this. So could you just explain to the listeners, and there will be many, many of them who are so keen to hear this conversation today because the Barclay Marathons comes up a lot in RMA. Um, okay. People find, you know, they watch the documentary or the, the film that's been put out before or every time it's on, people follow it. So, and this year um, people were following it. So I thought, what a great guest to have. You know, I met you when we were doing the Aura um, trail running um, webinars and then I heard you were doing Barkley and I thought, yeah. well, I know Isabel, I can ask her. <laughs> so I was so excited. Um, so could you explain to everyone what is the Barkley marath Marathons for those that don't know? 
Well, the Barclay Marathons is is a, a creation by um, Laz, um, Lazarus Lake, and, and and with with some friends of his. You know, it was when um, some guy escaped from the Brushy Park prison, and um, he you know, ended up being fine, not far, three days later or something because of the terrain, the nature of the terrain, he couldn't get away. And Laz said, oh, he could have run 100 miles in that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I've probably got it all slightly wrong, but, you know, you get the gist. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they created it. And, and another person, one of his friends suggested, well, seeing as it's going to be too hard to have checkpoints, why don't you have books? And that way people can prove where they've been. And so that's where the concept came from. And then it just, I don't know how it morphed into such a, an iconic race, but it has. And I guess that comes from it being a secret on how to enter and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, so basically it's a secret how to enter. There is no website. There is no information, very little information. And even even before the race, you know, I normally like to watch some YouTube videos of, of the race. And, and I remember Ron and I, we were watching a YouTube video of the race. This was, you know, a couple of months before, you know, it was it was long. So we paused it halfway, went to bed. We were going to watch it the next night and we came back and by the next night it had been deleted. Really? So we never, got, we never got to finish watching it, you know, because Laz doesn't like any videos on there that show too much. So he must have suddenly gone nut and, you know, complained or something and somehow or other it got taken off YouTube. So, um, yeah, so it, it, there's not much information out there about it um so i i first heard about it when um it must have been 2008 because my daughter tells me she was eight um and um we were in the car listening to a podcast i was driving somewhere and i used to always make the kids listen to running podcasts much to their (laughs) horror um and um and it was about the barclay marathon and, and she was really into books so she loved the concept and so it was something we would talk about and I was always like, I wouldn't, you know, I, and it was something I would talk about with the thought that I would never, ever, ever do do that. And over the years, people have said to me, oh, you should do it. And I'm like, me? Yeah, no. Nah. A, I wouldn't get in and B, it involves navigation and I'd get lost anywhere, you know. So, um, I mean, that was one of my big fears whenever I was racing was getting lost on the course. Um, and um, so, but then I went to Canada and, and you were more asking about Barclay, and I'm just telling you the whole story about me. So no, I want to know. Keep going. Keep going. I'm <laughs> kind of, that's interesting. I don't know how you got there, so yeah. keep going. Um, and so then I went to Canada and I met, you know, this, this girl and we would go running a lot and then her friend came from Edmonton to join us from a run and we got talking about Barclay and it turns out his cousin had been to Barclay and I said, oh, oh, do you think she'd maybe give me a little itty-bitty tip on how to get in? He goes, well, I'll message her and see. And so she gave me an itty-bitty little tip um, and that helped me. And I was doing it more sort of like I've always wanted to know how to enter. I'll give it a crack. We'll see what happens as if I would ever get in, you know, kind of thing. Um, I also did go to the Barclay Fall Classic in an attempt to help me to get in, but that's not so bad travelling from Canada to to Tennessee for a 50, 50K race that definitely is longer than 50K. <laughs> um, yeah, and so um, so from that I picked up a number of clues because that's kind of how these things happen is, you know, they snowball. Mm-hmm. And then I got in and I was very surprised. <laughs> so so, so where, is, where is this race? Where is it set? Well, it's at um, 
Frozen Head State Park, which is in Tennessee. Tennessee, yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. And it's just, it, it's funny because you go, you're driving there from, I normally um, land in Knoxville. Um, you can land in Nashville, whatever. But, um, and, and it's all flat. And it's all pretty nothing much and it's really built up, you know, suburbia. And then you get into sort of the outer areas. But even then it's kind of farmland and flat, flat, flat. And then you just go down this, this road past the, the new version of the prison um, and then bang, suddenly there it is, you know, just this yeah. little, yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and it's just this, this, and it's actually, when you look at the map of the area and the park there, it's not actually a huge area but he utilizes the area really well mm. wow so are you allowed to share any of the tips that you discovered no. today? <laughs> sorry <laughs> that was one of my questions <laughs> no you have to ask it's fair of course, of course. no no one is allowed to know <laughs> no that's right you know how to get in work it out yourself or maybe ask isabel to Share you a little tip i don't know <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know people do ask me and but the, what they want is they want me to just tell them everything mm. and it just doesn't work that way you know so yeah well that's good to know okay yeah so you had your first attempt in 2019 yeah and then the second attempt was this year 2022 so like you know, you wanted to line up for the Barclay. Obviously, you'd been thinking about it for a very long time. But what was it about the Barclay Marathon that really drew you in? Was it? I know? have no idea. Um, I think because it was, it is. I like. I like the idea of finding the books. Mm. I like the idea that it was a bit different. Um, I'm not really into the um, highly commercialized races. They don't. I know some people love them and that and that's great, but it's not for me. Yep. Um, I like the sort of the more, you know, grassroots style races and, and that's definitely what um, Barclay is designed to be like. Um, and I don't know what it was. There was just something about it that intrigued me and just the thought of how tough it was. Mm. I just wanted to be a part of that. Mm. So how many runners do they normally typically get? They they allow um, 40 runners max. Okay, so that's good. And, and um, I don't know how many of them it is. It's I think it's close to 10. Five to 10 of them are um, like the old timers who do it every year. I, I don't even think they have to enter. They're just like the ones who've been doing it from day dot kind of thing. Right, and then just yeah. having another go, trying to finish. <laughs> and what would be a finish? Like what's... The five loops so it's 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 a looped course um and i mean it changes the loop itself changes every year um and and it's 20 20 miles each loop which it's not um not that we'll ever know because no one's allowed to take any um you know gps site there or anything like that um and and a, and a finish is five loops but i, I think 2017 or 2018 was the last time someone finished. Mm. Could have been 2018. I can't remember. So COVID's done something out. to my memory, I tell you. <laughs> so when you go out, you're, you've got a number and you've got to find the, that page in the, in, in the book. The book. Yep. And, that and, was and the first year I went, I was absolutely terrified that I would be given the number one. 
because the number one is the sacrificial virgin. And, and he, that's the one that Laz believes is, um, has no place there. So. Oh, no, you don't want number one then. No, so when I didn't get it the first time, I was pretty confident I wasn't going to get it the second time. So. so what number were you the first time? Oh, I can't remember. Actually, I just had an eight the other day, but some, some just random number. But I tell you, I went up there and I'm giving him my number plate and he's getting the number and I'm like, please, no, no. I was practically praying. And he gave me this number and I was just like, oh, my God, thank God. So That is so funny. I was there um, when this German girl got the number one this year and, and she got so upset about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was quite it was yeah, quite. I would funny. be too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have to admit I probably would be too, but I can laugh about it because it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, so what's it like, um, you know, when you get there? So obviously I saw some of your footage beforehand when you'd done a, no, you'd gone out to have a little recce and you, you took a photo, like at the gate. <laughs> um, so when you get out there and you're having a little recce, obviously you've had to learn like a little bit, or you've learned a little bit last time about the course. Yeah. Um, like is there even a course as such or are you sort of trying to just, navigate your way around this area searching aimlessly for these books well i mean there is a course there is no obviously no flagging of a course yeah and um when i do the recce runs i'm not allowed off trail i have to stay on trail all i can do is look at where last time approximately the trail the course was but the course could change and it did change so it wasn't at some points I looked at weren't in the in the loop at all, you know. It, so it was just a guesstimate recce, if you know mm. what I mean. And it's also just getting used to the nature of the terrain. Like um, it's really slippery because um, it's winter there, so there was heaps of dead leaves on the ground with like this muddy wet underneath. So you're sliding on the on the leaves. And I was finding I was getting just like really sore hips just from constantly, you know, um, having to hold yourself up and I do a fair bit of strength work and core work but um this was like nothing I you know I just wasn't used to it mm. so um that's kind of what the recce runs for because you don't actually get to run at all on the course so <laughs> you know imagine you do do much running <laughs> yeah and and yeah and you don't do much running anyway so a lot of sliding and falling but yeah not necessarily a lot of running so let's talk about, before we go into those two experiences, I want to know, like, how do you actually train for something like the Barkley? And did it change for you this time round to last time? Well, um, this time round, I got a lot more opportunity, opportunity to do more navigation because the previous time I'd been in Canada and we just had huge snowfalls. So you could barely run outside at all. Mm -hmm. So like I'd find out I got in, you know, later in the year, I can't remember, you know, like November-ish sometime. Mm -hmm um november december some you know late in the year so i didn't have a lot of time left in canada but it was all snow yeah. um and then um then i arrived back in australia and of course it was like 45 degrees or something ridiculous um but um i got in tried to do as much navigating as possible but obviously there's not a lot of time mm. um and then of course this time as much as i i wanted to do row gains and races mm. you know to practice my nav but of course everything got cancelled because of COVID mm -hmm. so I just did the best I could because it, navigating is one of those things it's all fine and well doing it you know on your own but 
it, it, under race conditions, it's a lot different. Yeah. I mean, and, and we're lucky here in Victoria. I'm pretty sure New South Wales would be the same, but we've got lots of permanent courses. So oh, cool. they've got poles set up and they've got maps, you know, and, and you've got to find them. Um, so it is, it is fantastic, like very, very lucky to have um, those sorts of permanent courses set up. Yeah. But, um, but like I said, it's still not the same as a proper race experience. So I did lots of that. I, I still did basically the same running sort of training, um, strength work, all that sort of stuff. Um, I felt more confident about being able to go long distances after doing my um, two runs in 2021 you know the two really long ones so i felt confident that i could you know keep going and that's not the issue for me it's it was the issue was the navigation which actually wasn't too bad i was doing fine it was the finding the books yeah finding the books is the real one and even when i'd seen them before like the three years before i mean your memory is not that perfect that you're going to remember exactly where they are three years later and you know, then changed i guess they changed some they some had changed but he often keeps the books in the same spot the loop changes because you're coming in from different directions and mm -hmm. and and some of the books do change but it's like understanding laz's directions is you know that's hard so how many books do you have to find on one loop 14. wow that's a lot of books <laughs> it's a lot of books it's a lot of books yeah. So how many, how did you, how did your run go the first year when you did it in 2019? Well, um, I was, you know, I sort of, you know, started off my usual, not that fast, um, but, but okay. And I was on my own and I found a few books and, and then I just kept going and I kept getting lost. And then I'd come back and go with this other um, two people and then I'd go, oh, I want to go faster. So I'd run off and I'd get lost again and have to wait for them again. And, that happened a few times and I just went like, you know, it's obviously I'm going to use a lot less energy just staying with them, but I'm still going to be the same pace. So I thought, and, and I kind of realised by then that I wasn't going to make it in time. Based, I, I just, you know, did the calculations and um, I thought I'll just stick with them because then at least I can finish a loop and say I finished it and um, and I'll try to remember where all the books are and that sort of stuff. And, and that's basically what happened. Mm, yeah. yeah. But we still we still had trouble because the guy who did know where the books were, he um, ended up pulling out. So me and this other girl, Shaka, we kept going and we were both virgins, so we had no clue where the books were. So we were, you know. Running around. Running around like headless chooks, yeah. <laughs> I just find the whole concept so wild. Like I just think, wow. Um, before you went, like for your first time, I mean, did, was there anyone you asked for advice? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I asked um, Greg from um, Victorian Regaining and um, David from New South Wales Regaining, and and I even went up to Canberra and David helped help. You know, went with me on a Rogaine, and Greg would take me out to Listy and train with me. So everyone was wonderfully helpful and really good. Um, you know, but navigating is hard yeah <laughs> and, no, i did one row game during covid yeah. there was no races and that was the only one and my friends were, and i were like yeah we'll do a row game and it was like only like a three hour one and we yeah. were hopeless we were just following the, the map yeah and we had no idea how to use the compass <laughs> so. well, and, and that's like you know 
all my running career, I've been going to ultras and in, in, in the um, mandatory kit is, you know, map and compass. Yeah. And I'm like, well, this is dead weight because I'm putting it in my pack. But if I get lost, that's not going to help me. Absolutely. You know, so I couldn't use a map and compass either. So I've learned how to use a map and compass, which is, you know, a good skill to have, I guess, if, you know, the internet goes down or something. But, um, oh, you know, yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it's, I think it's good, you know, and, and I think it's good to always be learning new things. I really think that's actually really important. Yes. But, um, you know, it was never, it's never... I'm not like one of these people who's been doing it for 10, 15 years. And some of the people turning up to Barclay are mm. people who've been doing Rogaine since they were teenagers, you know. And um, it, it's kind of more imprinted in, in their brains, you know. And for me, it's still, I'm still at the newbie stage. Yeah. But I really love that, Isabel, because, you know, you said earlier in this episode that when you started running, you really didn't have any idea about navigation and you, your yeah. main fear was being lost on the trail. Yeah. Yet you've signed up for one of the toughest races in the world in terms of navigating. I know. And there you are <laughs> twice on the start line. So that is something to be celebrated. I think that's amazing that you've yeah. put yourself out of your comfort zone. You've taught yourself a new skill You've just gone head first right in to learn. You've found people who can help you along the way. Yeah. And you've been able to, you know, craft that and be on the start line to run at the Barclay. I think that's incredible because someone else could have just gone, it's all too hard and I can't do that. Yeah. And you did the opposite. So, you know, you've got the stories to tell. So I think that's excellent <laughs> that you actually. Oh, that, that, that's actually really nice. I mean, I saw it me as just being, you know, a bit stupid maybe. I don't know. But. <laughs> You know, no, <laughs> I think it's great. I mean, you could have gone the other way. You could yeah. have, gone, you yeah. know, even when you were listening to the podcast about the Barclay and you're like, oh, that would never be me. You could have gone, it's never going to be me. I could never do that. Even though there was that thought in your mind you would have liked to, people can talk themselves out of these things. Yes. You know, it's all about our mindset and um, yes. you've been able to achieve these things by putting I guess, um, what you really want first and learning how to do that by putting people in your way and learning new skills. So, you know, I think that's, that's incredible. And, and what I want to share with the listeners too is, you know, life is short and um, I don't want to get to my deathbed and going, God, I wish I'd done this. God, I wish I'd done that. Oh, why was I too scared or too embarrassed or too whatever to do these things? Because you know what, you're not going to get that time back. So, so my philosophy is I'm just going to give it a bloody crack and if it doesn't work out, at least when I'm on my deathbed, I go, well, I gave it a crack, you know, <laughs> um, because life is short and and you've got to do as much as you can in the short time we have here. And I, I like that. And, and I think even one of the questions that someone asked was, you know, did you go into the Barclay to, you know, with the mindset that you were going to finish or did you go in because you just wanted to have the experience? And I guess, you know, I don't think anyone goes into the Barclay thinking they're just going to be there for a little bit of time. Surely you want to do the best you can be. Yeah, yeah of course. Right? Um, but what was it like for you? Like what was your mindset heading into the Barclay? Well, that is a tricky one because you go into any race going, you know, my goal is to finish. 
But um, with Barclay, it's hard to go with that goal because you kind of don't believe believe it. <laughs> like, because you know it's so hard, you, you can't go and go, yeah, I'm going to finish because it's like, really, are you? Mm. Like, you know, um, the best in the world haven't been able to kind of thing. Yeah. So you, I, go in, I go into something like that wanting to do the absolute best that I can, whatever that looks like, you know. Mm. I mean, both times I fell short of, for me, what is what. I would have liked to have been my best. Mm. But, you know, the first time I got really upset about it, the second time I was upset for a day and then I just was like, once again, life's too short to be so upset about a race. Mm. You know, this is meant to be a hobby and something that we do for enjoyment and for and for our mental health. Mm. And me sitting there getting all upset about a result I cannot change yeah. It's not good for my mental health and it's not good for my enjoyment of the sport. So I just put it behind me. Yeah. And like I, as we'll get in later, I'm when I ask you like what lessons you learn, like, you know, there's always things without mm. any race or experience, you know, adventure that we choose to take on that we're going to learn things about ourselves regardless of how well we perform. So yeah. even though we may not have the performance we thought we were going to have, there's always like little pockets of gold that come out. Like there's always things that we're going to learn from those experiences. I'm keen to know what it was like for you in terms of like the Barkley Marathon, you don't know when it's going to start. Mm. So, you know, Laz blows the content. You have an hour, I think it is, until yeah. the start. And was that daytime or nighttime? And what was that like for you um, in terms of... I, I find that stressful because I'm very much a, a routine-driven person yeah. and, and I'm a planner and I like to know everything and when it's going to happen so that I can plan myself, you know. But um, And that's another thing. That's, that's one of the things that is the most uncomfortable for me was that start. But both times um, he blew the conch in the morning, in the daylight. So Great. You know, yeah. Um, so I think... It was around 6.50 a.m. this time. I mean, I was asleep, mm -hmm. so it woke me. Um, and so the race started at 7.50. Yeah, so. Do you just um, go, oh, my God. Yes, <laughs> and you just hear it and you just go, oh, one hour. <laughs> <laughs> That's not long. Okay. No. I gotta poo. I gotta do all the things. Coffee, poo, eat. <laughs> so much to do. So much. <laughs> yeah, it's not very long. <laughs> it's not. It's not. And when you're nervous, it's really hard to eat. But you know you have to eat because that's kind of your last meal for a long time. Your last really good one. And like, yeah. what do you wear? Like, what do you wear in those? Well, I like the previous year I wore singlet and shorts because it was quite warmish. Mm -hmm. um, this time I wore T-shirt and capris because I knew I needed to plan for being out at night. Mm -hmm. um, like the previous time I wore calf guards, and I know this is one of the questions someone said, why didn't you wear calf guards? Hear me out, right? Because so, <laughs> it was a stupid error, but it didn't seem so at first because the previous year... Um, a previous year well you know COVID was in between yeah it was meant to be consecutive years um the previous time uh was a different time of year slightly and there weren't that many briars mm. and um it, it wasn't that bad so and and I find as as good as those uh calf guard thingies are I just find them a little bit uncomfortable um it I feel like it restricts my calves you know I've got 
quite chunky calves to be fair so um i just don't i don't like that feeling and and i have one of those things where i don't like the feeling of things on me sometimes so um so i decided um to not wear them and can i tell you i regretted that for about 12 of the 16 hours that i was out there because every time another briar cut through the previous cuts it was just oh my god so painful so painful but the briars were a lot worse like i had scratches on my arms and everything i hadn't had that the previous year i had scratches on my neck my my rain jacket got shredded you know like um that had the previous time it hadn't been that bad but you know i should know i should know better because you can't just because one year it's like this it's not guaranteeing the next year's like that so yeah it was it was a, a rookie mistake yep. yeah and those that don't have a visual i mean after the race izzy's legs were like just shredded to pieces yeah oh they were and and like we went to bed and, and I had to, I had a shower because I really wanted to scrub the dirt out of them. I was really worried about them getting infected because of course you're in America and who can afford to go to a doctor <laughs> in America. So, but I woke up the next morning and the, the heat coming off them was horrendous. They were just pulsing. I'm just like, we've got to get to a chemist. Oh. And, um, and so we went to this chemist and bought this liquid um, disinfectant stuff that you pour all over it. And I tell you, oh my God, the pain. <laughs> <laughs> like it was, it was, yeah, it was a bit like that. It was kind of I was doing my Lamar's breathing. <laughs> so, yeah, it was um that was that was a very intense kind of pain too. But it, it worked. It really cleaned it out, and and um they were fine. So thank mm. God, because you know there is always that worry of infection. Yeah. Oh gosh, it looks so painful. So I guess the terrain you're climbing through is just like, does it go from like just thick you know briars to forest to open like scrub like what sort of things well i mean some of it is thick briar but in fact it's more sort of just briars here and there yeah and but because there's so much crap everywhere that you're pushing through they're just everywhere and it just you know and you're out there for so many hours it just builds up you know mm -hmm. um and it's just because it's off trail you know and there's it before off trail it's actually quite clear yeah to be honest <laughs> And um, and I've been when I did the Barclay Fall Classic, um, I've been through the area where the dead briars are, and they were alive. And I can tell you right now, that was a hell of a lot worse. Mm. Um, and um, I was shredded. You know how my legs looked. My arms were like that too after having done the Barclay Fall Classic. Wow. But for some reason, it wasn't as painful when they were younger. I guess the briars. I don't know why, but it wasn't as painful. Mm. Um, but um. Yeah, it's just, it's off trail. So it's inherently difficult terrain. Mm -hmm. What were some of the things like out there this time that helped, I guess, keep you going when it got tough? Like what were some of the things that you were telling yourself and what were some of those tough moments? Well, actually it was, um, I met up with this guy, Richard. Um, I, Sharka that I'd run with the previous year, um, like when we got to the end of the race, Richard was crewing for her. And so then um, this year I met him out there on the trail and we decided to stick together for the night. And it got tough for both of us during the night, you know. Um, and and we really, really supported each other. And, and, and I find that really helped. And um, 
increase the enjoyment level, you know, the feeling of camaraderie and that you weren't alone out there and that you're both suffering together. Um, because I often do do mantras and all that sort of stuff, but I found I didn't need to so much because when I was feeling like crap, he would, you know, say, you know, keep me going. And then when he was feeling like crap, I'd do the same for him. So it was a, it was a, it was a team effort the night, the night portion. Mm. Is that one of the good tips like for Barclay is to kind of link up with people? I think, I really think you need to, um, because not just because it, well, it just, it does like, you know, it does make you stronger because you've got someone to help you with decisions and someone to, you know, um, just to rely on like when you're feeling like crap and and i just think you know I, I didn't want to be on my own navigating in the dark and if things had gone to crap you know there i am by myself you don't have a phone you don't have um any kind of way of contacting anybody i just don't like for myself the thought of being alone in that sort of situation yeah i mean you are totally alone in a yeah. foreign country in that's the right forest like, yeah. what would you actually have done if something had happened like if you i have it? no clue <laughs> <laughs> here i am talking about my garmin in reach <laughs> you don't have one of those you would have no. nothing you don't have anything you're not allowed to take any technology you're not even no. allowed to, you're only allowed to take a map that you copy isn't that correct yeah. the map yeah. they give you so that could be wrong like it's just yeah that's right like i could have copied it wrong right like, seriously you know wow. um or i could be using you know i could be a bit tired and not using the compass correctly or whatever it is or just you know whatever i mean the guy who got the furthest carl he um he was going out onto his uh fourth loop and he got lost and he ended up in this town called petros and um he was um delirious and he was trying to hitch a ride but he was putting the, his torch under his chin so that people would see him. But of course he looked like a ghoul. So nobody <laughs> would give him a lift, but they were calling the police going, there's this mad woman. She's talking to rubbish bins and, um, and go and get her. And, and so the police went and it was Carl. Um, and he was talking to the rubbish bins, um, but um, oh, you know, so he got fined, but literally, I don't know. And, and, I would think, I guess, because it's a relatively small park, I guess at some point you're going to hit civilization, but it could be a while, you know. And um, it would be scary in the middle of the night, you know. It would you have be. to carry mandatory gear like you would. Huh? No, America and Canada have no mandatory gear for any races. You can just rock up and run. No. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I know. How cool is that? That's amazing. kind of not cool though as well. Wow. I mean, I, I had a lot of, I had, um, you know, rain jackets and, and a thermal and the sort of stuff I would normally take with mm. me, um, you know, because for me, well, it's second nature and, and also, and other people did too, because you have to have the gear for, because the weather changes so much in that park. Yeah, that's right. So what was the experience the first time? Like what made you finish the race? And then the second time, what pulled you out of the race? Um, well, um, I mean, I didn't finish either one, but um, I finished a loop both times. But um, 
like with Shaka, we were just having so much fun and just chatting. And it was, it was like having a, you know, just a run with your girlfriend kind of thing. <laughs> and um, we were just having so much fun and so many laughs and, and, and I just really, really enjoyed it. Um, I mean, I still suffered, but you know, it's suffering shared is suffering halved, I guess. So, um, I mean, I spoke to her recently and she said to me, I didn't realize it, but she said to me, after that, she was like, never again would she ever do it again. And I was like, wow, because I thought it was really good fun, but, you know. <laughs> um, so, um, but this time, I mean, I finished the loop again, got all the pages, but out of time. And it was pretty much exactly the same time. Um, okay. But um, it was just, it just felt, it felt harder this time. Um, I don't know if that's because of the, all the COVID crap that we've had to go through that maybe um, my, I think you have a limit for how much suffering you can go through in a period of time. Mm. And um, I think that may have been depleted yeah. um, because my level of ability to suffer was, was, was down. And I think that's because I mentally suffered quite significantly during all the lockdowns and I know everybody did um but you know I'm speaking of my experience and 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 I really feel that that um affected me a lot and and I think perhaps my sufferance level hasn't had not had a chance to reboot yet mm. no I think that's totally valid I mean you live in Melbourne <laughs> so yeah. That was one of the hardest places to be doing lockdown yeah. for so so long. Yeah. With like, did you even what was? Did you even have a radius? Were you even allowed out? I can't. Uh, we had a five-kilometer okay. radius. Yeah, and I live in a two-bedroom apartment mm -hmm. with a teeny tiny little courtyardy garden, and I was expected to stay in this for twenty-three hours a day. Um, I mean, that's you wouldn't do that to a criminal, no. <laughs> you know, no. and and you know they probably have mental health experts around uh, for criminals to, to help them deal with it. And yeah. we're just left at home and, um, and just, you know, told that it's for our own good. And, and, and you know, and, and, I, and I know it was a serious, and it still is a serious situation and whatever, but, you know, I, I, I'm just, yeah, I'm not a fan of lockdowns. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, um, and I think they caused a, a lot of problems for a lot of people and um yeah i think that people like i really can resonate with what you're saying like obviously i haven't run the barkley marathon but i feel myself this just this feeling of exhaustion yeah like and so um like even like i did a race recently and i just felt just I don't know. I can't even pinpoint the feeling. It's just this feeling. And even like I'm training for bigger things coming up this year. And I just feel this, just still this weight, I guess. And, yeah. and there's, there could be one little thing that might not be going well. And it's, 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 it's a real big issue for me where normally it wouldn't be. It's just like, I can't deal with one more thing. It's almost yeah. like my cup's yeah. full. That's so um, I can totally relate to that. Like, and, and I think that, you're not alone in that feeling at all. So, mm. you know, I think it's amazing that you got to the start line and you still gave it a good crack and you should be celebrated no matter where you came. 
yeah. in that race on those loops. So don't worry about that. I think you're amazing. Um, <laughs> I wanted to ask about Laz. Um, yes. Like, what's he like? <laughs> Do you he's actually, he's, he's lovely. He's very um, funny and he's very smart and he's, um, you know, I mean, he's, he's, when you think about the races that he's come up with, how different they are to all the other kinds of races, you know, the backyard races, the um, Barkley, the, the strolling gym one he's got, which goes, I don't know, that's like goes for miles. Um, he comes up with some really clever ideas that um, really challenge, once again, your suffering, your levels, your ability to suffer. And, um, I, I, you know, he's, he's great. He's, you know, quirky. Mm -hmm. um but you know aren't all ultra runners to be honest <laughs> yes yes <laughs> you know? yeah. just I in mean, our own individual ways yeah <laughs> i think so no we're the normal ones just us two yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm not normal <laughs> no, i would hate to be normal in, in actual fact i think normal equates to getting a bit boring so you know. <laughs> i agree i mean there must have been some interesting characters out in the barkley um yeah. like can you Tell us about anyone you met along the way. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I met, um, I mean, I'm, you know, you know what it's like when you're running and you and you run with some people. And um, I met this guy, um, I th God, I'm going to butcher what country he's coming from. I think it was Lithuania, but he was living in England. And we chatted for a while and he'd actually just two weeks before had COVID. So, oh, wow. Yeah. And he was there. I was just like amazed, you know, and um you know, and we chatted for a while and, um, you know, it, it's interesting because considering that there's only, you know, 35 to 40 people because there was a bit less this year because, of course, people travelling there had to test for COVID and if they got, um, if they had COVID, they couldn't go. Mm -hmm. So um, there was a few less competitors. But in spite of that, there was always someone there around, you know, mm -hmm. and, um this guy, Alex Ricoud, you know, this French guy who we'd been friends on Facebook previously because of Barclay, but that was the first time meeting him, you know. So it was, you know, you meet all these people from all over the world and it is, you know, it is a cool event and we all know it's pretty far out and wild, but, it, you know, that that's part of it. Oh, I just love it. It's so different. I just love it. What did you have to give to enter the first time? Uh, the first time was the number plate. Yeah. So you only have to give that once. Okay. Um, and that's from the state that you're from, country and the state that you're from. Yep. Um, so obviously I gave him a Victorian number plate. And then this time um, a T-shirt with um, uh, Indigenous language on it. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, so how, did you, how did you get the number plate? <laughs> oh, just a friend, you know. People have number plates. I had so many offers of number plates. I know who it is because at first I'm like, I've got into Barclay, but I'm not going to be able to go because where the hell am I going to get a number plate? But yeah. I had I had heaps of offers of number plates, so who knew people just keep them? Wow, I didn't know. And, yeah. and where did you get the shirt? Um, well, no, the thing is that um, Aboriginal culture does not believe in the writing of the language, mm. right? So, um, so you can't really buy anything with it printed on it. So my daughter got on to the you know onto a t-shirt making place and she went then went and um looked up you know the local uh, i think it's the Rundri tribe yeah. and looked up words you know blood guts and misery and those sorts of words and she got them printed onto a t-shirt oh wow 
Wow. Yeah, because they were all in like um, picture form. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, so, yeah, traditionally they are. But, yes, so, um, so yeah, so that's what we got. But I knew what it said, but it was three years, two, two years later, and I'm like, I gave him the shot. I said, I don't even know what it says anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I love it. <laughs> um, someone wanted to know um, what it was like to be so sleep deprived during a race like this. And I mean, in any of the races or adventures. Well, and to be honest, that was only 16 hours, so it wasn't really that bad. Um, I was more, I was way more sleep deprived in um, the Seven Peaks one that I did. Like I was, I have never hallucinated before like that. I mean, I've hallucinated when I was younger and had high fevers, but this was hallucinations where I knew I was hallucinating. It was, it was kind of almost amusing. And I'm, because Ron was with me and I'm telling him, and now I'm seeing this and now I'm seeing that. And oh my God. And I'm, and I'm like, and I was describing it all to him and he's just like, okay. <laughs> what were you seeing? What were some of those? Well, well, it was a puddle, but, like, first of all, I could see, um, like, I said, oh, it's a puppy and it's wagging its tail. Look, it's wagging and it's, it's wagging its tail. And then it changed into um, one of those monkeys banging, you know, <laughs> the drum. And then, and then it was a, another sort of animal but in a cage and, and then we walked out and went, oh, it's a puddle. <laughs> <laughs> It's but so it was, wild, isn't it? Yeah, like, it was. It I, was yeah. I, I remember watching um, my friend, we went and crewed her for running the Lara Pinta and um, three days with no sleep and, yeah. like, she was seeing things. But so were the crew, like me. Uh-huh. Like, I literally thought that I was seeing, we were trying to get out of this four-wheel drive track in the middle of the night to get to another yeah. checkpoint and... I got out of the car thinking it was a river that I had to drive through and I told the girl in the car behind, we can't go through, it's a river. Like, And <laughs> so we're driving around for three hours in the bush trying to get out of this forward drive area in the dark at 3 a.m. And um, we got back to the same spot and she's like, there's no Where's water there. And I was like, there was water there. Nope, there's no water there. So I yeah. literally think I was hallucinating because I had hardly had any sleep even three days. Yeah. It's just a bizarre that the, the I think it's interesting that. how lack of sleep does that to us, you know, mm-hmm. like, and that's what I find fascinating about ultra running and, and everything because I find the human body infinitely fascinating and how, how it reacts to different things. And I just think it's awesome, but yeah. It's, it's just kind of weird, that one. It's so weird. Did you meet Courtney DeWalter while you were there? Um, yeah, just to say hi, nothing yeah. nothing major, you know. She kept to herself or? Yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah, okay. And probably kept more to people that she knew, you know, yeah. so. Okay. Yeah. And I wanted to ask about Ron because he was your crew and you only allowed yeah. one crew. Yeah. So how did you prepare Ron to crew for something like the Barclay? Um, and did he, I mean, he's come along for a lot of your running adventures I've seen along the way. I think he learned to crew for me just from crewing for me. Mm. So, um, you know, last year he crewed for me for those two big runs and he's just learned kind of what I'm like now. And, um, and basically that if, you know, it's just trying the main thing for him for crewing me is finding foods that I'll eat, you know, kind of that sort of thing. Mm. Um, and just, you know, he's got a very um, calm demeanour as opposed to my kind of slightly hyped-up demeanour. So um, he's always a, a very much a calming influence on me, which um, 
you know, it is really important and, and it makes me feel like at least somebody's in control around here because, you know, and later he'll tell me, no, he didn't have a clue what he was doing, but he just... <laughs> But he looked like he was in control. That's, that's right, you know, and that's 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 the important bit, you know. But um, no, he's just learnt over time, I guess. Um, and I mean, not that he ended up having to do any crewing for me, which was which was sad for him, you know. Um, I'm sure he wanted to, but yeah, I mean, I was 100% confident that he would do all the right things for me because he knows mm. everything that I need. So you know, I I have no qualms about him crewing for me in any instance and you guys got engaged when you were overseas which is yes exciting. that's right so about four or five days before Barclay yeah oh, congrats that's yeah thank good. you <laughs> that must have been like you know helping the situation and the vibe over there like buzzing from an engagement yeah yeah you know and it gave me something else to focus on as well as and not just about how nervous I was so you know yeah 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 so do you think you'll go back and do another attempt at the Barclay? Um, what was I saying to someone yesterday? I'm nine, oh no, it was today at work. I said, I'm 90% sure I'm not going back. So, um, you know, a part of me wants to apply again just to see if I'd get in again. But then I know if I did get in again, then I would feel obliged to go. So I'm almost too scared. I mean, chance, who knows? I mean, just because you've gotten in once before doesn't mean you'll get in again. So even the second time I got in, I was I was unsure that I would get in. So, you know, it's no guarantee, but it's just it's a long way to go. Um, it's you know, it means that whole part of your your year you can't you can't do anything other than Barclay training and Barclay. And there's just once again life's so short, and there's so many races I want to do that you know I don't know. Yeah. Well, what's next for you? Um, I've got DU down under one three five on the in middle of May, fourteenth oh, wow. of May or something. Oh, that's yeah. Cool. Oh, great. Yeah. Have you done that one before? No, no. That's another one with really tough terrain, um, similar to sort of Barclay style and a lot of off trail and that sort of stuff. But it's a marked course, mm -hmm. so. Can get lost. That's one thing I don't have to worry about, at least. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Although, knowing me, there is still the chance I could get lost. So, <laughs> well, if it was me, I'd be definitely lost. Don't worry about that. <laughs> um, okay, well, we're just going to finish up with the RMA hot lap. So, at the end of the podcast, I like to ask just five quick questions of all yep. our guests. So, the first one I wanted to ask was what was the favorite part of Barclay for you? Of the race itself or the whole experience? Oh, the whole experience, any of it, yeah. I think almost the week before with all the runs and, and all that sort of stuff, it was it was really, that was, I just loved that, you know. It was really nice. And, and, the, and the race itself almost felt like just kind of putting all those runs together. Not that I ran on the course, but you know what I mean? It felt like a kind of a, a culmination of it all. But if anything, I almost enjoyed the whole week before, yeah. Mm, that's cool. What was the best food that you had over any of those races? Oh, oh, over well, I mean, the the chicken I had in that Seven Peaks run, like seriously, I don't know what it was. It was just a Woolies chicken, but <laughs> nothing has ever tasted that good. Woolies chicken. I wouldn't have yeah. even thought of having chicken, but I guess Seven Peaks, how long did that take you? 67 hours or something, but it was like, 
I was feeling sick and I just couldn't face anything sweet. Mm. Anything they offered me was like, Bleh. and I just went to sit inside the, the camper van for a bit, you know, because I, I just needed to sit down. And there was just this chicken hygienically, you know, <laughs> sitting on the bench. God only knows how long I'm going to be in there. Chicken. And I just went, mmm, chicken. <laughs> and they're all like they're talking. I'm just in there just stuffing it in my face. Oh, I, I, I practically ate the whole chicken. Wow. So, but, you know, I needed food. I hadn't eaten in like 10 hours or something. So, Oh, well, a bit of protein kept me going for a bit longer. <laughs> um, what, uh, what did you look forward to most about doing the Barclay? Um, well, I was excited for, for the challenge of it and to see what I could do, which was why I was disappointed because I feel like I was capable of more. Um, but obviously I wasn't. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I, that's what I was looking forward to was that was the challenge of it and, and really hoping to, to even beat my own expectations. Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, so the next question kind of leads in, do regular trail races satisfy you now after <laughs> the madness of things like the Barclay? I think I know well, the answer. Yeah, I don't know because I haven't done any yet yeah. since then, but I think so because I think you've got to take each race on its on its merits of, of what it is and, um, you know, and, and I'll still get nervous for DU. I get nervous for every race and I think, you kind of should because that means you're respecting the distance and you're respecting what you're about to put your body through um, and making sh and it'll mean you make sure you do all the right things. Yeah. And um, I know I hear people say, oh, you get nervous, that's great, it shows that you care. Yeah, but uh, to me it's, it's, it's more than that. Like I know I care about it. I'm, I'm nervous for, for many reasons, mainly for the pain that I'm going to go through, but, you know, yeah. um, I, I still feel that for every race. It doesn't matter what level, you know, like um, like I said, I've, I've represented Australia in races and felt nervous for that and felt just as nervous for the local, you know, you know, 20 or 30K race. So yeah. to me, they're all the same kind of thing. It's, it's, a, um, it, it's pushing myself and that's what I love. Yeah, yeah, definitely you do. Um, okay, the last one is... What is the best thing about being a runner and what do you want your kids to learn from you being a runner? The best thing about being a runner is um, knowing how much you as an individual are capable of, you know, and, and that you can, you know, because, yes, I have, you have a crew, but you can do, like my first UTA, I had no crew. I did it just, you know, with drop bags and, you can be 100% self-reliant and you can achieve amazing things. And the only way to find that out is, is through like ultra running. Um, that's really the only chance we get to experience such, you know, um, difficult task and, and doing it on our own and relying just on ourselves. Mm -hmm. And what I want my kids to learn is that they can get through tough times mm -hmm. and that, um, yes, it's great to have people to rely on to help you get through the tough times, but at the end of the day, you can do it on your own and you can get through tough times and we are all, human beings are really tough and really amazing and, and, um, and, and that we all have that capacity within us. Mm, I love that answer. Oh, thank you so much, Isabel, for sharing with us. You've really inspired me. Like even just that last answer actually just really spoke to me because I've been thinking a lot about that, about 
just how, you know, there's this little voice that's sort of telling me, oh, maybe you should, you know, maybe you shouldn't be attempting the things that you thought you wanted to do this year. But now I'm actually by because listening. Because of the kids? Because of the kids, you no, mean? Not because of the kids, just because I guess you have these self-doubts in yourself. Yeah. And ability or, you no, know, just do yeah. it. Yeah, you've been thinking. You've, you've got to do it. Same, not as fit, not as. Yeah, who cares? You know? And I, I, you just inspired me to say, no, hell, have a go. Like, you yeah. know, you've got it within you to have a good go at these things. And, you know, for me, it's more about um, these days anyway, more about the experience for me. Um, yeah. And the performance can, you know, can come with that if I, if I work hard as well. But it's more for me about what am I going to learn? What am I going to see? What am I going to experience? And so, yeah, you've just inspired me so much to have a go and maybe oh, to get me back into a little bit more regaining, like even just that one little regain I did. I kind of yeah, they, they are fun. Yeah. yeah. I do and also I think if you let go of worrying about the performance, the performance comes, you know. You might not win it, but you might surprise yourself with what you can do. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure... You know, I mean, I don't know whether you go into races planning to win, but, you know, like I said, if you let go of it, then then it's, you know, yeah, yeah, it makes life much easier, more enjoyable. And, and you know, and, and get out there, give it all a crack. Life's about having fun. Yeah, I agree, I agree. Even if suffering is part of the fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So where can people find out more about you and your adventures? Where can they follow you along online? And also you coach, so where can they yep, find you? Yep, so um, I'm on Insta as Isabel with an O dot R or um, Peak Endurance Coaching. Um, the website is peakendurancecoaching.com.au. I'm on Facebook just as Isabel. I can't remember what the specific handle is for that one. Just look up Isabel Ross. Yeah. Just make sure it's with an O. That's the Scottish spelling, so... Oh, yeah. make sure it's all in the show notes. And are you still yeah. doing a podcast as well? Yes, I just had a break while I was um, overseas because, you know, that's just one thing, you know, I didn't want to have to make time for um, and I didn't want to be lugging my um, microphone and, and camera and everything everywhere, you know. Yeah. Um, so I will be starting that up again probably next week and uh, getting that out again. Great. Well, thanks for sharing with us. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate you asking me to come on. You're welcome. Well, I hope you loved this episode with Isabel Ross. Please tune in to the show notes where you will find out more information about Isabel and where you can follow her, her coaching, her training, and all her amazing accomplishments. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the podcast. I look forward to joining you again next time.